All right. We are going to continue our study on elders. Open your Bibles up to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, We have been studying elders, the shepherd leaders, for the last three weeks. Uh, So far, we're, we're studying this because we are going to, as Emily said, open up elder nominations. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that terminology, an elder is someone who oversees the church. They, they care for the church uh, like a shepherd cares for his sheep. And they do that until the chief shepherd, Jesus, returns to take care of his sheep in person. Uh, we have two types of elders. We have teaching elders. Myself and Caleb, we're both teaching elders. We're uh, seminary-trained vocational ministers who pastor the local congregation. And then we have ruling elders, and ruling elders are laymen who are elected from the congregation, nominated, elected, trained from the congregation, and they are ordained to work with the teaching elders to shepherd the pastor. So teaching elders, ruling elders, working together to shepherd the congregation. That's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. Uh, This week, we're going to wrap that up by looking at the requirements for being an elder. Next week, I'm going to be out of town. I'm going to a family reunion in Kansas City. So Steve is going to be preaching for us. And he's going to be talking about spiritual gifts from Romans chapter 12. So if you've been sitting there wondering, like, well, I'm learning about these elders, but what about me? What about my spiritual gifts? How do I use them for the church? Then come back next week, and Steve is going to talk about that from Romans chapter 12. And then after that week, we're going to start a study on the book of Acts. We're going to go through the, probably the first half of Acts looking at this new community. If you're with us in the spring, we talked about, uh, we studied the Sermon on the Mount, and we said that Jesus was creating a, a countercultural community that lived differently than the rest of the world. What Acts, we're going to see what does that new community look like in the first century. And hopefully that is going to give us a vision for what kind of community we can be together. So there's the broad outline of where we're going and what we're doing. College students, uh, you heard all that, and you just thought, oh, Lord, this is syllabus day at the church. I'm just tuning this guy out. I don't need to know this for, like, years and months down the road. Please don't tune me out. This is not syllabus day, okay? Uh, what we're going to talk about this morning impacts your view of God, your view of yourself, and your view of salvation, and your view of leadership. We're going to talk about church leadership a bunch, which hopefully you will all be church leaders as you grow. That's our vision for you. So, Let's hear the word of the Lord from 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." All men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not God's word. It stands forever. Let's listen to it. Um, when I was in college, 
I wanted to be a leader, and I joined a fraternity because I thought that's what leaders do. And my freshman year, uh, when, we, when we first arrived, our pledge class was taking nominations for officers, right? You have a pledge class your first year, you take nominations for officers. One of the officers was we call a corresponding secretary. Their job is to develop relationships with other fraternities and sororities, to write letters and thank you notes and that sort of thing. And when I was in high school, uh, one of my passions was writing. And so I wrote for my school newspaper and I wrote for the town newspaper. And I thought, hey, this is it. I'm going to be the recording secretary for my pledge class. And this is going to set me off uh, towards being a leader in the fraternity. So, you know, when you do an election, you've got to give a speech. And so I stood up in front of all my new fraternity brothers and I laid out my resume of writing. I told them all of my accomplishments all the awards that I'd won for writing, everything that you could think of about how good I was as a writer. I just threw it in there. And guess what happened? I lost. So I thought, that's okay. It's all right. There's, there's other offices. A house manager came up and I thought, hey, you know, I grew up on a farm. I know how to fix things. I'll be a great house manager. So I stood up and I proudly talked about how awesome I was at fixing things and how I could organize and fix everything around the fraternity which was a lie, but thought it would win me the election, and I lost. And so then the intramural chairman came up, and I thought, intramurals, I played sports in high school, I'm a physical education major, who better to have as your intramural chairman than a physical education major? And so I stood up, and I proudly spouted out my accomplishments, and guess what? I lost again. I kept running for like every single office, And every office I stood up and proudly gave them my resume of how I would be the best person for that position. And every single time I lost, I didn't win a single race that evening. That night was the beginning of God teaching me some very, very hard lessons about leadership and what it means to be a leader. And one of the things that I have learned over the years as the most important thing about leadership is not your competency, it's your character. It's not your competency, it's your character. And what I showed that night by spouting off my resume to all my new fraternity brothers was that I was proud and I was arrogant. And they saw that and they did not want a proud and arrogant leader. As we look at the requirements for elders, What you're going to see is that God prioritizes character over competency. Yes, competency is vitally important as a pastor, but character takes priority. And what you see is godly character is what makes an elder competent. Godly character, first and foremost, is what makes an elder competent. Now, uh, this is important for us. Very, very important for us because character is important for choosing leaders in all aspects of life. Who is a leader? A leader is someone that other people follow or it's someone that has influence on others. From that perspective, everybody sitting in this room is a leader or can be a leader. Everybody here has somebody that follows you or somebody that you influence. It may be your younger uh, siblings. It may be your people at work. It may be your friends and family members. It may be the people in the church. So it's important that we all take our character seriously. 
And what tends to happen is man looks at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. When we choose leaders, we tend to look for competency and charisma and not character. So we need to look at the character. Uh, College students, this is really important for you. As you're coming to college, you are looking for friends and mentors and leaders. Maybe you're thinking about becoming a mentor or a leader. And there's a lot of stuff going on in college. And so you're focused on building your resume, building friendships, developing your competency. In the midst of all that, don't forget that your character is the most important thing for you to work on. Character is more important than competency. It's important for being a leader. It's also important for understanding the gospel. As we look at this this morning, what you're going to see is that the gospel is what transforms our character. The gospel is the power of God for salvation that radically transforms our character, and that transforms all the rest of our lives. So what we're going to see in this passage tonight is that elders are examples of transformed character, relationships, and reputation. Those are our three points. Elders are examples of transformed character, relationships, and reputation. Uh, Kids, as you're listening, maybe uh, write down one of these character qualities that you want to work on and talk to your parents about what it might look like to work on that character quality. The first thing we see is that elders are examples of transformed character. Paul tells us that elders are sober-minded. So a sober-minded person is a person who has a clear perspective on life. They have good discernment about right and wrong. And they're self-controlled. They possess a sound mind and good judgment and a calm demeanor. They are calm, cool, and collected under pressure. They're slow to speak and slow to anger. Uh, This makes them respectable. Their life is well-ordered. It's well-managed. It's adorned with Christ. It's not chaotic on the one hand, and it's not vain on the other hand. It is a life that glorifies Christ in all that he does. He's not a drunkard. He's he's sober-minded in self-control, and that requires the careful use of alcohol. Uh, This does not mean that, that he has to abstain from alcohol totally, but he must be able to abstain from alcohol, or use it in moderation. He's not a lover of money. Uh, Like alcohol, money can cloud your judgment. And so uh, a good elder is someone who's a good steward of money. They see money as a tool and not as a master. So what you see when you begin to look at these different character qualities is that what happens is the gospel comes in and it reshapes us from self-will and self-expression to self-denial. An elder is someone who models self-denial in their lives. Uh, I've been reading a book called The Band of Brothers. It's about an easy company, a group of men who were really instrumental in World War II in winning the war for us. And it tells the story of several men in there in the war. And then at the end, it tells what happened about in their lives after the war. Uh, and there was a, a man in there named Skinny Sisk. And Skinny Sisk was a sharpshooter. He was very good at shooting and killing, which served him very well in the war. But after the war, he was uh, obsessed with his nightmares. 
He had these nightmares, dreams, and visions about all the the men that he killed in the war, and he couldn't escape them, so he turned to alcohol. He became an alcoholic, and his his life was totally destroyed by alcoholism. Uh, One night, he was at a family gathering, and he was so unbearable to be around, he just went into his bedroom to be by himself. And while he was in there, his little niece came in, and his little niece said to him, she said, I want you to know that Jesus loves you, and I love you, and if you repent, he will forgive you for all of those things that you did, and you'll stop trying to kill those men over and over again. We asked her to leave the room. He got on his knees, and that night, he prayed a prayer of repentance, and he asked God to forgive him for all the things that he did in the war, and he asked God to change him. And after that, he changed. He stopped being an alcoholic. He stopped fighting. God transformed his character, and he became a minister of the gospel. He devoted his entire life to sharing that gospel of grace with others. The gospel transformed his character. The gospel transforms our character. It transforms us when we first become a believer, and it transforms us throughout our entire lives. If you want to change, if you want to go grow in godly character, then you do exactly what Skinny Sisk did that night. You get on your knees. You ask God to forgive you and to change you. You repent and you seek relationships that will help you change and grow. That transformed character leads to transformed relationships. That's the next thing we see. It says that an elder is the husband of one wife. That means an an elder must demonstrate the biblical sexual ethic in every way in his life. He strives to be faithful and loving to his spouse in thought, word, and deed. Now, this doesn't exclude single men or men who've been divorced for biblical reasons. Uh, Adultery, abuse, and abandonment. If you're interested in in learning more about the the biblical sexual ethic or about divorce, I preached two sermons on that in Sermon on the Mount. Uh, They should be posted online. You can go back and revisit those sermons. But this elder is the husband of one wife, and he manages his household well. He shepherds his children the way he's going to shepherd the church. He knows his children. He feeds his children the gospel. He leads his children to Jesus. And he protects them through good, godly discipline. Now, ultimately, he's not responsible for their faith. Uh, There there comes a time when every child is responsible for their faith, to to make their parents' faith their own. But he is responsible for modeling and teaching Jesus to his family and creating an environment where his his children can grow up and know the Lord and where they'll, they'll want to respect him and submit to him. He loves his wife well. He loves his children well. He even loves the strangers well. Paul says he needs to be hospitable. The word hospitable means literally love of stranger. This means he opens his home and he opens his heart to others. He invites the poor, the orphan, the widow, the outsider into his home to experience the love of Jesus. Also, he's not violent or quarrelsome. His self-control and his sober-mindedness leads him to treat others with kindness and gentleness rather than violence. He uses his hands and his words to build up others, not to tear them down. He's firm and fair 
in how he communicates, but he's not argumentative. In all these ways, an elder is an example of how the gospel transforms us from self-centeredness to self-sacrifice. That's the mark of a true godly person, is that move from self-centeredness to self-sacrifice in all the relationships. Uh, I heard about a movie that came out in the 90s. The name of the movie is not important. Um, But in this movie, uh, there's a man there who's a journalist, like I was. And he is always trying to get, but I'm not anymore, obviously. He's always trying to get that last little bit of the story. And so anytime there's a family holiday, anytime there's a family event, anytime there's a time when his family needs him or his friend needs him, he always says, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I've got to go get this last quote for the story. I've got to get this last piece of the story. And his wife just becomes exasperated by his overworking. And finally, um, in sort of in a moment of tension, she looks at him and says, okay, hypothetical situation. Let's say that somebody is going to blow up the office or they're going to blow up the house. Which one do you choose? Do you choose us or do you choose the office? And he says, that's never going to happen. And she says, you're right. It's not going to happen. But every day you choose the office over us. The gospel transforms us into people who sacrifice ourselves for others. And we're willing to die the death of a thousand deaths. Are you willing to sacrifice your work for your family? Are you willing to sacrifice your friendships for your hobbies? Are you willing to sacrifice um, forming godly character for climbing up uh, the ladder of the campus just trying to be a campus climber? If so, what you're doing is you're hurting those around you. And what Jesus calls you to do is to die the death, the, the death of a thousand deaths, the life of a thousand deaths. It's a sacrifice for others. Jesus said, if anyone come, would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so it's that transformed grace, that transformed character that leads to transformed relationships We deny ourselves, and then that leads to transformed reputations. It says that elders are above reproach. That does not mean that they're sinless, right? But it does mean that there is nothing in their life that opens them up to a charge. That they're literally, you can't bring a charge against them, right? You can't look at their life and find something that you could take to the elders and say, look, this man is disqualified from the office because of this. And when they sin, their repentance is exemplary, right? They're exemplary in their behavior and in their repentance. It says that they need to be well thought of by outsiders. Their character and their relationships are so exemplary exemplary, that even non-Christians speak well of them. They may disagree with their beliefs, but they can't discount their character. This reminded me of a story that I heard about another campus minister. It's not me. But I heard the story about another one. Uh, there was a, a pastor's kid that came to his campus. And so naturally, he wanted to minister to that pastor's kid. But the pastor's kid had rejected the faith. And so, but, but he didn't, uh, he kept meeting with him anyways. He pursued this student. He met with him. He developed a relationship with him. 
And one day, the campus minister was tabling, so he was out, like, for those of you who don't, haven't done campus ministry, you're, you're, you're passing out flyers, you're inviting students to your campus ministry. This campus minister was out tabling, and while he was tabling, that pastor's kid came up. And he, he saw the whole group of students there, and he said, you know what, to those other students, he said, you know what, I disagree with everything he believes, but he's a good person. And the people in this group are good people. You guys should go there and check it out. His life was so exemplary that someone who disagreed with him believed in his character. That's what happens when the gospel gets into our lives. It transforms our character, and that transforms our relationships, and that transforms our reputations. And elders, people who demonstrate this kind of life. And Paul warns us. He says, don't lay hands on someone who is a new convert, someone who's young in the faith. Because it takes time for this kind of character to develop. And it takes time for this kind of character to be demonstrated. And it takes time to be prepared to have the bullseye on your back. Because the devil wants nothing more than to take out elders, to take out the leaders of the church. And you know how he does it? He does it through pride. He does it through puffing them up. And so Paul warns us not to give the office to anyone Who's proud? Anyone who has not demonstrated this type of radical transformation in their lives. So we see, we look at this passage, that character is more important than competency. Uh, this is not a job resume. Notice there's only one competency listed, and that's to be apt to teach. Okay? So an elder does need to be able to teach. And what is he teaching? He's teaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ that's transformed his life. So that makes sense, right? You wouldn't want anybody teaching the gospel that has not been first transformed by the gospel. Every other requirement refers to character. It's also not an exhaustive list, right? There, there's much more you could say. The, the fruit of the Spirit aren't on here. There's not a lot of spiritual disciplines on here. Those things are kind of assumed about this person. What you have is a list of character qualities and actions that distinguish an elder from the world and make him an example to the congregation. These are character qualities that all Christians should strive to develop. And so we, we look at this list and we have to ask ourselves, how do we develop this type of character? How can I be this type of person at home or at work or on campus? Well, Paul tells us, you've got to zoom out. You look at the rest of 1 Timothy. And in 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says this, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. What was Paul like before he became a Christian? What was Paul doing before he became a Christian? Paul hated the church. Paul hated Jesus. Paul persecuted the church. Paul was on his way to persecute the church when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus body slammed him, blinded him, led him by the hand to Jerusalem and introduced him to a man named Annas. And Annas prayed for Paul. And Paul's scales were removed from his eyes. Paul's life was radically transformed. 
He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was baptized in the name of Jesus. And he gave his life to spreading the message that he had formerly tried to exterminate. And this is what he says. This is how he describes that transformation in 1 Timothy. He says, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul is saying that God transformed this hard, stubborn, self-righteous, proud sinner through the gospel so that he would be an example to us of the type of proud, self-righteous, wayward people that God could transform. So that we could find eternal life. That's a Christianese term. What does eternal life mean? Eternal life means true life. A life of self-sacrifice. A life of self-denial. A life that glorifies God in everything that we do. That's the life that the elders display imperfectly in this life. That's the life that Jesus calls us to live in this life. And that's the life that we will all display perfectly in the life to come. How do you know that a person has been transformed by the gospel? They know that they're a sinner saved by God's grace. If you look at this list, right, it's easy to see this list as a, a list of things to do, a list of boxes to check. When I see this list, especially as an elder, I see a list of things that I cannot do and that I don't do. You know you're being transformed by the gospel when you look at this list and you say, yeah, I, I fall short. I need Jesus to save me. I need Jesus to transform me. I need Jesus to rescue me, to change my character, to change my relationships, and to change my reputation. And the good news of the gospel is, is that Jesus comes in and he does that. I heard a story this week that, that really demonstrated this. It's about a man named uh, Steve Ryman. Uh, Steve Ryman was the CEO of Pizza Hut. And Steve Ryman loved to go around and visit Pizza Huts. He would just pop in and visit a Pizza Hut and check out what it was like. And he was known for being a very serious critic of Pizza Huts, as you can imagine. And so everybody kind of feared whenever Steve would show up, and they would always try to be on his best, their best behavior. Uh, and one vacation, Steve and his family were in Steamboat, Colorado, and they just popped into a Pizza Hut for dinner. And when they showed up, the Pizza Hut in Steamboat, Colorado was not on their A-game. It was a terrible night, terrible service, terrible food. And, and Steve sat there getting madder and madder and madder. So finally, he, he had enough, and he, he got his family, and he took them home. He dropped them off, and then he drove back to the Pizza Hut. And without saying a word, he put on an apron, he went to the back, and he started making pizzas. Then without saying a word, he went out to the front and he cleaned the tables. And without saying a word, he went to the dish pit and he cleaned all the dishes. And then when he was done doing all that, he took off his apron and he said, good night, everybody. Good work. And he left. That is an example of what an elder does. He sacrifices for the sake of others. But it's even more so an example of what Jesus does for us. When Jesus was in heaven, he looked down from heaven and he saw us in all of our sin and misery, 
struggling and suffering with sin, but he didn't stay in heaven. He took off his crown. He took off his robe. He came to earth. He put on an apron of flesh, became a human just like us, and he lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we should have died, and he rose from the grave to transform our lives. When you give your life to Christ, he comes in and he cleanses you. He washes you. He renews you. And he gives you his spirit. And that Holy Spirit leads you to live and love the way that he lived and loved us. It makes us sacrificial servant leaders. We get the character to live and love like Jesus by admitting that we're sinners that need Jesus. So let's go to him now. Let's pray. And let's ask him to transform our hearts so that we might glorify him and enjoy him the way he wants. Let's pray.